Hey there. Welcome back. This is episode 34 of the local podcast. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Jordan Hauser Digital. That is my video company here in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. If you and your company are in need of some video marketing content, you can check out greensburgvideo.com. There's a bunch of content up there for you guys to check out. And if you want to make a video with me, go ahead and hit that contact bar and shoot me a message. We'll plan something out and get you rolling. So check out greensburgvideo.com for all of your video and photography marketing needs. Or if you'd like to sponsor an episode of this very podcast, you can do so by reaching out to me at thelocal724.com and just head over to the contact page and fill out that form. So if you think your business is a good fit for the listeners of this show, go ahead and reach out at thelocal724.com. On today's episode, we have local comedian Sean Blackham. He's worked with guys like David Tell, Drew Carey, even Mitch Hedberg back in the day. So strap in, enjoy this episode, and help me welcome Sean Blackham. Welcome to the local 724 podcast in three, two, one. All right, today we got Sean Blackham in the house, comedian. How are you? Doing well, yourself? I'm doing all right. Good. Glad to see that you're uh, making it through COVID. Oh, yeah. I mean, just. <laughs> We were saying earlier, it's just the most unfathomable thing. I I couldn't even imagine, like you see those things on Facebook and whatnot to say, "Hey, where do you expect to be in five years?" Right. Yeah. You know, like no, not sitting in my house doing nothing, staring yeah. at a wall. Yeah. It's. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I've been out every day mm-hmm. in this in some aspect, but honestly, as a comedian, it's killed my you know business because sure. of shows. But as a comedian, I'm always. 10, 15 feet away from everybody all the time. I'm always, yeah. I'm always up front. So, so it's really, um, that aspect of it is kind of a bummer, you know what I mean? Because it, usually when you're going through this kind of stuff and these kind of situations is when you want to go and have comic relief. And cause I remember doing a Absolutely, show, yeah. we were doing a show like, like not even a week or so after nine 11 and how weird it was to, um, actually get up in front of a crowd cause you didn't know what, what you were going to say, mm-hmm. you know, wh- how you're going to be perceived. Yeah. You know I mean, and like, okay, and you start thinking of a joke and like your mental Rolodex going, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that joke. And um, yet there's other comics that went right up and just went boom, right into the, you know, this kind of that kind of stuff and blowing this up and blowing up. And I think yeah. people just wanted it. So right now it's, it's weird because I think that with everything going on and you probably see this with this, the media and the television and the, dividing of the country i think everybody's just afraid to even have a conversation oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah it's so. tough i mean like you can see just the divide on on facebook you know it's you look at you've got like all your people out there that you know you've respected for a long time and all of that and then they start saying some fucked up shit and you're like yeah. oh man okay well yeah maybe i'll just kind of like step back from this you know yeah. and you know, I'm guilty of it. It's like if I have friends on there that are saying shit that I don't agree with, I'm just like, oh, God. And I, you know, skip past their post and stuff like that. But yeah, it I, is I, what it is. I do that. I, you know, I tell you about it. I, I quit watching the news in February and I'll probably mm-hmm. never watch the news again. The only reason I would watch the news is for the weather because I'm, I'm an outdoor kind of guy. Yeah. So I just, I get the weather on my phone, but I just, just seeing everything and going, you know, it's just crazy um, what they're like impounding into people's heads. And I said to a guy today, actually, I said, if you ever followed the news before any of this happened, do you ever notice they always put the feel-good story at the very end? That's right. It's always the water skiing squirrel. You <laughs> yep. know I mean? Or the monkey that's, you know, driving a car. And because they want you to sit through, like, you know, the, the murders, the, you know, your favorite sports team losing, you know, the crappy weather, so you're not going to have your picnic this weekend. Right, yeah. And then all of a sudden they say at the end, like, hey, how about put that in the middle? Put one of those in, like, put something in it. A little comic relief and make it so it's not so bad. And what is it? You keep people there and then they hang on to watch that little snippet of that squirrel and they go, okay, I feel okay about myself. Yeah. yeah. Life's not that bad. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. But I'm surviving through it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a single guy, so I just... Yeah. I do a lot of my individual stuff. I mean, I, you know, so um, it hasn't bothered me to that aspect of it. But, you know, but the shows, a lot of my friends in the business, mm-hmm. I mean, they're just literally, um, they're struggling. Yeah, they're, they're struggling. Yeah. And, and um, the reason why they're struggling is because of um, you're your own, your, own, your own business. Yeah. So if you're your own business, it's hard to get unemployment. 
Mm-hmm. Like if you're just like, so if you're just like, you know, if you're like, you're like a Drew Carey or Kathy Madigan or, you know, all these big comedians, if that's who you are and you're the business, you can't really get, some people can't get things unless you're an incorporated business and the way you're structured. So a lot of my friends in the business are just literally just sitting there going, what next? Right. Yeah. I mean, the agency I booked through, they're not even thinking into next year because they don't even know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but crazy times, you know, so. It really is. And it's tough because I've actually like, I've actually come up with some, you know, comic material about, you know, the situation. Right, you know yeah. I mean? But. When the hell are you going to deliver? Yeah, yeah, when are you going to deliver? It's like, oh, yeah, hey, I got a great cake here, but it's going to be moldy by the time I give it to you. Absolutely. Right, yeah. So, but. Well, how'd you get into comedy? How did, how did you start? You know, was there like a specific thing in school when you were younger or. No, I could honestly say, well, growing up, I always liked like Buddy Hackett, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, I always remember just being up late up late enough to stay up to watch Johnny Carson nice. and seeing some of the comedians come out, you know, and, you know, see like Roddy Dangerfield come out, mm-hmm. you know, and I used to just was amazed when Don Rickles would come out and you, and you think about Don Rickles then to yeah. now. They would probably just put him on the first spaceship and send him to the moon because, <laughs> right, yeah. but that was it's crazy because wasn't that a different time? Like he he was this guy who basically just pounded every race, generation, mm-hmm. everything, and never offended anybody. But I yeah. But I remember watching him and thinking, man, I just man, this this guy could just say whatever he could say, and it was just it was amazing to me. So I never I liked that aspect, but I never had aspirations to be a comic, mm-hmm. and so. Um, I was quiet in school. And really? I, yeah. It was weird because I remember probably about 15 years ago, I did a show, a local show, and um, my high school guidance counselor was there. <laughs> and she came up to me at the show. She's like, I can't believe that was you. She goes, you were one of the most quietest kids that I had in all my career. Yeah. So I was just kind of, I was middle road kind of guy. I was a little bit of an athlete. I ran track, was on a fitness team, and I hung out with my friend that smoked pot. You know what yep. I mean? And I was just middle, I was like Switzerland. I just went yeah. right down the middle. But, um, <laughs> and then just started in life, didn't go to college, you know, just started working. And then um, I got engaged at, uh, I think around 21, 22. I got engaged to a girl that was like the complete opposite of me. Complete opposite. Yeah. I thought that was my rite of passage. I thought, oh, you know, <laughs> it's time you get college, you get a job, you get married. And I, I met this girl and, um, and she, you know, like this girl, how I should have known that we weren't, compatible is like she she wouldn't even swear oh boy i mean like you know she goes that girl's such a b-i-t-c-h i'm like who fuck her yeah. you know what i mean like that <laughs> and um but i um so that that relationship kind of you know it broke up it wasn't like an angry horrible thing it just was like just kind of disbanded and um so i remember um just i remember running into jimmy Cren when he had just started on on a dv radio station yeah. and uh, he was doing a remote and I think it was the Cochrane Pontiac, which was in right behind where like where the Chili's is in Monroe. I don't even know if it's even there, but you know, on the, the back way, the side way into to Monroe Mall. To the mall, yeah. Yeah. TGI Fridays. It mm-hmm. was a, that's where it was. And um he was doing a remote. I was talking to him. Hey, how do I do what how do you do this? What goes on? He said, Hey, here's a phone number. Call the funny bone Friday at three o'clock. Right at three o'clock, dial this number. You know, I remember I I know it off by heart because it's four one two two eight one thirty one thirty. You know, that's what you called it. And the first 10 people got on stage for the following Tuesday. That's oh, it. that's awesome. You had okay. to do, yeah. So if you, you called, we're booked, sorry. And um, so you had to come up with three minutes worth of material. So I remember going home. I didn't say anything to anybody. And I remember going home that Friday. And I started just writing stuff down. Because I'm not a writer. Everything I make up just comes into my head. Yeah. Just comes in. I can't sit and write in a library. And so I was just, um, wrote some stuff down. And I started realizing that, and I would just read it in a mirror. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing, wow, how quickly, and I talk fast, how quickly three minutes goes by. Like, you write all these jokes down, and you did all your jokes in, like, 30 seconds. Yeah. You know, and going, <laughs> oh, I'm screwed, man. So I um, came Tuesday, and and it was back in the day when the, the comedy clubs, that's when it was, like, booming in this country. Mm-hmm. It was like, your headliners came in, you're, and you're made top dollar and your feature performers would come in and make, you know, six, seven hundred dollars a week doing like six shows. Yeah. You know, like you, you would normally do like one show Wednesday, one Thursday, two Friday, possibly three on Saturday, one Sunday. So you might do like six, seven shows, mm-hmm. hundred bucks a pop. 
they used to fly you into your you know fly you in put you up in a condo so I'm thinking this is this would be great to get into so um, they in fact they even had a newspaper it was called um, just for laughs mm-hmm. and it was a newspaper like the city paper it was just every comedy club in every city I mean you go through Pennsylvania it'd be like you know, Philadelphia had five clubs. Pittsburgh had four, you know. Yeah. So you could go in as a city and just go, you know, city to city and do a gig. And um, so get down there. I was the first person on stage. And I'll never forget. I still have the Just for Last paper at home. Sitting right in the front row was Mel Blunt with his big old cowboy hat, <laughs> you know, from the Steelers. Yeah. Right there. And, and I was, like, intimidated. I'm going, oh, shit. So I was the first comic up, and you had three minutes. You had three minutes to do your stuff. And at two minutes and 30 seconds up on the balcony was a red light. Mm-hmm. And it would blink. Just like this, man, you had to wrap it up. If you didn't wrap up in there, they would shut the mic off and the light off and, you know, your, your set was done. So I did it. And, um, you know, I don't, I vaguely remember the response. I got laughs, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I'm sure I was nervous as hell. But um, I did it. It was fun. I started, it was 1989. And, uh that's when I started, and I've been doing it ever since. You know, just started doing the clubs and just, you know, working your way up. And, you know, I'd drive from here to, like, Wheeling, West Virginia to MC. Yeah. At some shithole theater for <laughs> 25 bucks a night. You know, drive there and back. Oh, you know, yeah. yeah. So, and you're sitting there and you're doing a show, and some dude with a third-grade education is making out with some girl in the front row, and you're trying to perform. It was just, it was a weird <laughs> becoming. I mean, my first professional show that I did that I got paid for was in St. Uh, was it? Yes. Not St. Clairsville, Ohio. Um, no, Mingo Junction. Mingo Junction, that whole panhandle, West Virginia, Steubenville, Mingo okay. Junction. That is like, if you see like if you want to film a West Virginia movie and, and trash West Virginia people, that's the little quarter. <laughs> that's you where you go. That <laughs> stupid, because Ohio is like that big. And um, I was, it was this place. I can't think of the name of it. But it was right next to a steel mill. And I was supposed, it was a Friday night. I was the MC. I was supposed to do 10 minutes, and there was going to be two other acts with me. And I didn't know who they were. And I got booked from a guy that had a, um, a booking agency out of um, St. Clairsville, Ohio. And um, so I'm waiting for showtime, and the other comics aren't there. And the owner came up and said, uh, they called their, their uh, they thought it was tomorrow night. So can you, uh, what can you do? Like, holy cow, what am I going to do, right? So for for literally 40 minutes, I got was just I ripped on everybody that came in the door. Every Also, holy like shit. Don Rickles coming to my head. I just, people were just coming in and like, you know, hey, show started at, uh, you know, 8 o'clock. Can I get you a watch? You know what I mean? I just basically just started just pulling stuff yeah. out of nowhere. And I don't even remember my set, but I remember just winging it. And, um, you know, and that whole fear. And so I got indoctrinated, like, really quickly. Like, in <laughs> I as would far say as, so. Yeah, so... <laughs> But, um, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's how I started. It was just, I thought I'd just try something different, man. You yeah. know, because I was engaged. I'm like, I'll just try this out and see where it goes. And um, and I'm still doing it to this day. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a lot of fun, man. Yeah, I mean, just comedy in in any sense of the word is just like, I mean, it's like medicine to people. You really do need it all the time, uh, especially like now. And especially yeah. like back, uh, you know, when the 9-11 stuff happened, you know, you you watch the news. You're just like indoctrinated with like just watching the news and like everybody's fear all the time. And it's just like, you know, you need that outlet. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't matter what it is. If, if it's a boring job, you need a, you need a, a different outlet. You yeah. do something else. And, and comedy really is just that for... The shittiest pieces of life. I oh, yeah. Mean, yeah, it's so crazy you said that because I just was telling a guy today, two guys actually, the same story, and I've told this probably over 100 times. A few years back, it was a place outside of Pittsburgh in White Oak. I did a show. Um, it's a couple times I did a show at this place. It was sold out. And bar shows, are, sometimes they're really cool. You have a little banquet hall. Mm-hmm. You can fit, you know, 150, 200 people in there. They're great because they're up close, you're intimate. And um, after the show is over, you always had that meet and greet, you know, people, oh, I want to talk to you. Hey, man, you're funny, blah, blah, blah. And they want to hang out with the entertainers. And and um, so they had a you know, bar adjacent to it right next door, same building. Hey, man, come on, have a beer with me and I, with us. I said, sure, no problem. And they all kind of disbanded, and there was one 
kid was just kind of hanging back. Mm-hmm. And I could tell instantly he was military because he had squared back shoulders, you know, oh, yeah. you know, haircut was short. And just with a very stern face, put his hand out very stiffly, shook my hand and said, thanks, man, for making me laugh. I'm like, well, that's what I was supposed to do, man. I'm glad you had a good time. He goes, no, nah, you don't understand, man. I, I didn't want to come out tonight. He said, um, I'm, I'm a vet. He goes, I got PTSD. Mm-hmm. Because I did a tour of Afghanistan, Iraq. He goes, a lot of a lot of my friends were killed right in front of me. It's it's pretty pretty messed up, man. So he goes, I didn't want to come out tonight. My friends talked me into it, and uh, so I have to say, this is the first time I've laughed in seven years. I started like welling up with like tears. Yeah, you know. And I immediately put my hand up. I shook his hand. I said, No, let me thank you. I says because what you do just gave me the freedom to do what I just did. Right. Yeah. I mean, literally, it was like that one. It was unscripted. It was just this dude from the heart saying this to me. And right there, I tell everybody, I go, that, those are the moments in life in that particular situation that would overrode every shitty show I may have done in my whole career. Oh, yeah, you know I mean? for like, sure. Just someone just saying that, like, this guy's seen things that I never want to see, mm-hmm. never experience. And he's coming out and he's thanking me for doing something that I just love and to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, so, like you said, when you do a show, I don't, I don't do it for the money, like, my, my agent will tell you when he books me for a gig, he'll say, are you available for this date? Can you do this date? Mm-hmm. I never say how much is it? Because it's about fun. It's yeah. about having that fun and having that connection. And, um, and, and and I learned a lot from it. I mean, I was like this shy guy growing up. And, you know, I, and I, I honestly could say that it wasn't until I started doing comedy was how I really found who I was. Yeah. You know, as a person, like, you know, that you could just be who you were. You know, a lot of people don't. A lot of people hide behind that facade of mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm this and that. And, you know, there's, you know, you know, okay, I come from a rich family, so I should act rich when I really don't want to be rich. And everybody kind of lives in this shell. Right. You know, and I've always been kind of me, you know what I mean? And, you know, and, and so I just, I went with it and just been having fun and, you know, and uh, I might still do. You know, I mean, I kind of, I do miss not having the shows right now because yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy how, you know, how like some people, in, some people just, their life is crap. They go sit in a bar and just drink it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, so they're just continually feeding that depression. Yeah. Drink. Been Being, there. Some of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of my best shows have been when something really bad has happened to me. Yeah. And like, I've, I've had girls, I, I'm a, but distinctly, I had this girl that I had a huge crush on. We were dating and it was great. It was fun. It was nice. And the night before she was supposed to come to the show with my family at the improv, she just flat out just dumped me, mm-hmm. just out of nowhere. And I was crushed, man. I'm like, what the heck? You know, so, you know, so the next day she texts me about, hey, you know, I know my whole family, because their whole family never saw me before. They were going to come see me right, at yeah. the club. Um, should they come or not go? And, and I was like, me, I got way too much empathy, way too much empathy. And I said, no, nah, tell them to come. Come along. They're on the guest list. Good to go. What, and she goes, would, you, would it bother you if I came? I said, no, it's going to look stupid if they come and you don't come, right. so just go. Yeah. I mean, my heart didn't want her to be there, but I remember leaving all day. I was just completely just out of my mind. Drove down right next to the improv and the waterfront is just on the other side of the bridge is Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. I went in and talked to a good friend of mine. She recommended a self-help book, you know, called The Art of the Relationship. And I went in, found the book. I'm sitting in the green room before the show just – Started reading the first chapter, going, yeah, well, that's that's definitely me, you know, and oh, shit, I guess I screwed up there, you know what I mean? I'm reading this whole thing. As mm-hmm. soon as the music come on, the intro music come on, I got up, walked on stage, and went right into my act, and I took all that pissed off energy, that anger, and I never let her know that I was pissed yeah. or I was upset. I put on like an unbelievable show, and in fact, I even threw in a subliminal joke in there that only she would know. You know, okay. and, um, yeah, so it was almost kind of like an in-your-face going, yeah, well, this is what you're missing out on. Right. You know what I mean? And um, and I've been able to do that, and it's weird how you can just transform that, and it's kind of a it's kind of a cool way to deal with that kind of stuff. Absolutely. You know, so um, you know, so I, was, I learned to do it, and it's happened to me on several occasions. I remember doing a show, a film for Channel 22 years ago. It was the day we buried my grandfather, and, you know, they called and said, hey, listen, we... We'd like to have you come on this spot, and that's what I did. You know what I mean? And um, you know, and I just dedicated that to him. You know, yeah. so yeah. But you know, it's one of those deals where you know, it's just like 
you go into something not knowing what's in store for you. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's thing like comedy is like comedy is I was talking about, it's like a blind date with me and 200 people. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know me, you know what I mean? And I don't know them and I got to make them like me and they got to like, you know, vice versa. So it's kind right. of a, it's, it's, it's a powerful feeling in a way, you know, for I mean? sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta so. be a good fit. Both sides. It's, um, you know, I don't know. Every show that I've ever gone to has just like kind of started out as, you know, you go to see a headliner and, you know, you run into your MC in your first act and your opening act or whoever. And, and, you know, a lot of times those are the guys who really shock you the most. Those are the guys that are like, Oh, wait a minute. What's this guy's name? Yeah. And that's like, it's one of the greatest things, you know, that's just kind of how that like snowball effect happens. And, you know, I got into comedy thinking of, you know, at, right after college, I had this like boring ass job and I was doing, uh, making t-shirts with screen printing t-shirts yeah. and you don't work close to anybody when you're doing yeah. that. So you're by yourself. And I listened to Opie and Anthony and, um, those guys were, uh, you know, competitors of Howard Stern and they always had guys on, uh, Jim Norton, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, all kinds of dudes, Louis C.K. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, big dudes in uh, New York. So it was just like I was listening to these guys for years and years and years, and I think I listened to them for like twelve years, and I was just like I- obsessed. I mean, like I couldn't go into a situation without thinking of like, you know, what would what would this guy say about this or something? Yeah. Like it's very fun just to like right. have that mindset of you know not taking everything so absolutely serious yeah. all the time. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's the greatest way to think. You know, I, well, the whole start of my career, I mean, I was, um, I was working as an engineer for a local company, um, a display company. And, um, I did my job. I'm a, I'm, I'm fortunate. I've got a lot of talents and things like that. And I remember be working there all the time and people would say to me like, you ever serious? I'm like, yeah, when I do my job, I'm serious, mm-hmm. but I'm going to have fun doing it. Yeah. I mean, you know I mean, it's, it's just that whole, like, there's so many people that this, they're so uptight about things, and um, and you and you become uptight, then you can't appreciate everything that's going on in front of you. Right? You know what I mean, you know, like so the best things in my life happen when they were spontaneous. Mm-hmm. And if you look at all these people, like these people, these girls are getting married, and the families are helping their daughters get married, and just all this got to do this, that everything's got to be perfect. Boom, bam, boom, and it's like all for what. Just for a short period of time, mm-hmm. the only reason why people are there is for the free booze and the free cookies, and they're <laughs> out the door. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, yeah. They don't care. They don't care. You'll never see them again. You uh-huh. know what I mean? As as compared to two people who just go, "Hey, you know what? Um, why don't you just move your shit in, and we'll just see where this goes." And they're the mm-hmm. ones that stick together. Oh yeah. You know what I mean, they're the ones that stick together. They, you know, and um, so, you know, it, it, when you overthink sh- stuff too much, it'll kill you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I have a tendency sometimes to over process things mm-hmm. you know but um but i think everybody does well they said your mind's automatically geared to go to the negative like yeah. you automatically go to a negative and you go to negative thought and surprisingly a lot of comedians and, and are come from a depressive situation yeah <laughs> like a lot of like you read their stories i mean they wanted to you know kill themselves not i'm not saying me but i mean but i do i get seasonal depression mm-hmm. but i know what to do to counteract it yeah. I just get up and go right into what I want to do. I'll go out and I'll, and I'll burn off the energy. So mm-hmm. other people just basically take that and just don't know how to take it to that next level. Yeah. And that's kind of what I've learned with the comedy is it's like when you go do a joke, the first words out of your mouth when you go on stage, they got to like you. Mm-hmm. And I learned this early on because one of the comics, I can't remember which one told me, said that because what I would do when I would, before I'm going on stage, I would take like a piece of paper and I'd write one word down from everything in a sequence how I want to start. I want to mm-hmm. start out with dating, driving, parents, you know, cars, and just write it down there. And I would do that first joke out of my mouth. And if I didn't get laughed, I would freak out in my yeah. mind. Then I would jump all the way back down to like my closing joke. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I'm completely just confused. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden, I was all over the place and my segues were horrible. And then, um, and if someone said to me, go, listen, I go, just if your audience senses fear, mm-hmm. they won't work with you. They'll feel bad for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so learning that, I just realized that when I, and it took time to get the confidence, I basically would just go in and just get up on stage and just be me. 
yeah. just go right into it. Then it all flowed. It all came about. Mm-hmm. And then what I would learn to do when I go on the road is I would come into some town, say, come into Greensburg and say, hey, okay, hey, what's uh, what part of town, like, you know, area in towns were, like, really bad. And they might say, like, this this part's bad or mm-hmm. this bar's bad. And, you know, this, you know, so I would get on stage and say, man, my career is really kicking off. I'm, you know, Saturday night I'm in Greensburg, mm-hmm. you know, performing, yeah. you know, for 40 people. If my show goes really well, uh, next week I'll be doing, you know, such and such bar. Right, and, yeah. And, and, or such and such shit. All, and then people would just bust out laughing because you instantaneously made it personal. Yep. To them. And um, so that going into that, when you get the first words out of your mouth, if you can get them, you get them. Yep. If you don't, you can struggle. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's and it, but that's just something that just takes time. And I've I've seen some great headliners just do a phenomenal show at seven o'clock, and a nine and there's only sixty people there, and at the nine o'clock show is sold out. Do the same exact set mm-hmm. and just struggle. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's and it would be weird to me because a lot of times they would get angry. You know what I mean? They get angry because sure. you're not. Yeah, you're, you know, it's, hey, it's just those people. You know what I mean? Or just, it's just whatever's going on, you know? The worst shows to do with the 11 o'clock shows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah, because they, they couldn't get into the 7 o'clock show, so they hung around there. We paid for parking, so they go out drinking, and then they, oh, yeah. you know, and then, yeah. So we used to call it the WWF crowd because they would come in and just be so rowdy and mm-hmm. just, yeah, drunk and, yeah. But, you know, so it's a different... It's a different experience, man. I mean, it's like, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I got involved with it. I'm glad I did it, you know. And, you know, but it comes to a certain point where you got to say, well, how long am I, I going to do this for? Yeah. You know? Like Steve Martin. Steve Martin, mm-hmm. he just, he got to that point. Did you ever read his book? Born, I haven't. Born no. Standing Up. It's a great book. It's about how he struggled throughout, you know, life at the beginning. And his parents, his mother, his mother always wanted to be a Hollywood actress. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She wanted that fame. And I think his dad was a, his dad a salesman. He was a salesman. His dad was really hard on him, and so he he just basically just traveled the country and just did these little little um you know little fairs or like circuses and these artsy little things. He just bounced around, and made his way to San Francisco, was just doing the goofy characters that he did, and you know yeah. wild and crazy guy, and a little bit here and here and there, and then next thing you know, he just was in San Francisco, and next thing you know. He's like, hey, yeah, sold out tonight, 3,000 people, sold out this this many people. And next you know, you're selling out thousands. And and a lot of people don't realize this. I don't know if you know this, but um, before hair bands, he was the first person to sell out arenas. Oh, wow. Really? Like before the arenas and selling out arenas, Steve Martin, he was like, next you know, he's filling rooms. Wow. And just filling rooms. And um, he basically, um, when he got to that point, mm-hmm. he worked so hard to get that point, he just said, I'm done. I did it. Yeah. And then he went right into movies. Mm-hmm. Yep. And right into movies. And um, so, and I fortunately got to see him and Martin Short about three years ago when I came through town. Yeah. It's the most I ever paid for any ticket at any show. It's 198 bucks per person. Yep. To go sit there. But you know what? It's worth every penny. Worth it. To see him and to see two really comedic icons and oh, to yeah. see him in his element talking about how he met. Yeah. It's good. <clears throat> three Amigos was one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. One of the greatest movies ever. That's how he met Martin Short. That's the first time. They oh, met. really? That's the first time they met. I remember t- he told a story on stage about how they met and something. I think they were playing Scrabble or something like that. They were playing a board game in a trailer. I think it was Scrabble, and something about Martin Short says something about you know, do you want to you know, do you want to bang my wife? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> just something like something really off. And they just knew they were going to hit off, and that's what they. Yeah. That's how they met. Was on Three Amigos. That's hysterical, man. Yeah, but Them, Chevy Chase, man. Oh yeah, all those guys. Yeah, um, but you know to see that, so it's like it's weird. And one of the cool things for me also doing the comedy was I was telling you about watching Carson, right? And um, yeah, my dad—that was my dad's routine. He'd work, you know, come home to work, go do his thing, do his hobbies in the basement, get a shower, and every you know eleven o'clock he'd come and get a shower. Like eleven twenty, that's he have his bowl of cereal and watch the opening monologue of Carson. Mm-hmm. And when I first started doing comedy, I just started doing it. I was living at home at the time, and um, and I remember my dad telling me one time when I came home, he said, "Oh man, we saw this guy on TV last night." My dad said, "Oh my god, he was so funny." And, and my dad told me what told me it was somebody's material. I go, "That's true. It's Drew Carey. Mm-hmm. I, I've done shows with him." So my dad's like, "Oh, you know, it's so funny." So when I got, I worked with Drew because he was originally from Cleveland, mm-hmm. so he was always at the Pittsburgh Funny Bones. You know, yeah. 
And uh, there was, and then they had another comedy club in um, Beaver Falls called Charlie's Courtside. So there was, and there was the Lancaster Comedy Club. So basically, affiliated with that group was Pittsburgh, you know, Funny Bone, Monroeville, Funny Bone, place in Beaver Falls, and Lancaster. So mm-hmm. you technically could almost work with the same comic for you know three weeks. Oh yeah, yeah. So I yeah. would, I, I knew I did probably opened or featured probably 50, 60 times to Drew. So, so I was with Funny Bone Monroeville and my dad and mom came and, and I remember my dad, I introduced my dad to Drew and my dad was just like, it was cool for me to have, you know, someone I knew personally. Right, that my yeah. Dad, yeah. And then the second time was right next door here to you was, um, I got a call from DeCesar Engler. Oh, I don't know how many years ago it was, but, um, for me to open up for Stephen Wright. Oh, okay. And if you know Stephen Wright, he's got, he's one of the most subliminal Comics yeah. of all time. I mean, his <laughs> his jokes are the kind of joke. He'll tell a joke here, and most people are getting that joke five minutes after he's told that joke. Right, yeah. And he's going right into it. And um, they called and said his opening act was not able to make it. Um, can you do it? I'm like, sure. So I got my, and my, that was my mother's favorite comic. So I got my parents front row seats. Oh, nice. And I remember sitting in the green room, and the show was supposed to start at 8 o'clock. I was told I, was, I had to do 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then they were going to do a 20-minute intermission and then bring him up. So I was sitting there just like, oh, my God. I mean, are these people, these people are coming to see him. You know, his style of comedy, is mine going to work? I mean, I was just like, I have no idea. And um, so it was by 2 minutes to 8, and the girl came in. She said, hey, listen, he was staying at the Four Seasons Sheridan would have had him mm-hmm. stay, and he said there was a wreck on 30. So he's going to be a little bit late, so we're gonna, can we wait 15 minutes? So now I can sit there for 15 more minutes and just <laughs> stew in my own, like, yeah. oh, what am I going to do? Uh, so they said, you're up, and I got up, and I don't know if you've ever been on a big stage like that, but it's like a black abyss. Mm-hmm. You you know there's 1,300 people up there because they were sold out. It's just a black abyss. You can't sing just the big white light. And um, so when I got on stage... I was on stage two minutes, and boom, he was standing right there, right on the stage beside the curtain. <laughs> so I'm like, holy shit, now he's watching me. You know what oh, I mean? Great. Like, so um, I did the show, and it went off great, and um, got great applause. And afterwards, I, you know, people were doing the intermission, you know, giving me, oh, man, great show, funny, blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. it was so good that after the show was over, he um, talked about how great set I did, and I actually went two weeks later, I did open for him at the Warner Theater in Erie. Oh, that's awesome, yeah. Yeah, so it was cool to get, like, you know, invited back by somebody of that caliber. Of course. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, so it was cool both my parents got to meet, like, my mom got to meet Stephen Wright personally, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and they still do today, you know, if I go, if I know somebody, you know, they'll, you know, so it's fun. That's awesome. Yeah, so. That's really cool. I did want to ask you a question about uh, a TV show Mm -hmm. called uh, I'm Dying Up Here. Mm -hmm. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it, and I heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. The question I, I wanted to ask was just kind of like, and since you haven't seen it, you're not going to be able to answer, but well, I can it's just, uh, just kind of like that whole like idea of like the comics hanging around the comedy club and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, is it, you know, kind of like that? Are they all like good buddies? Are they all like hanging out together? You know, is it busting everybody's balls and, and as fun as everybody says that it is back It is. There? Well, it there's... Like any type you're in that kind of thing, there's, there's an always an egotistical mm-hmm. environment around it. So I remember when we'd go downtown, we'd all hang out and we'd go to the bars. And there was always the click of us that there was like four or five of us that we all kind of hit it off. And and we kind of had our own little group, like the Rat Pack, you know, in yeah. Vegas, right? Right. And then there was the other ones that came out who just kind of wanted like, you know, wanted to hang out with us, but weren't really, you know, um, you know, we... we we knew they were there, but we really didn't want them there, kind of right, thing. Yeah. So we kind of had that kind of going. But um, but then you'd find um, that when you went to some place, when people recognize you, then you know one person would get kind of jealous, or one person would try to be funnier than you were at the time, and okay. it's just this constant kind of like you know a little kind of you know egotistical battle. Right. Yeah. And uh, but then there's some comics who basically like me. Most people tell you if I go to a show. And uh, before a show, I could be sitting outside at the bar having dinner. And I'll go do the show. And afterwards, people go, I can't believe that was you. Because I'm pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't go and 
I don't have to be funny 24 seven, right. but I okay. can be funny when it comes, when I'm just being me. But, yeah. um, but you, you do hang out as a clique of a group of people. I have a, like friends of mine, a lot of my friends are in LA now and, um, and we always get together and we get together and sometimes we'll come here and we'll go on a couple of weekend shows together mm-hmm. and just talk about the days and have fun. And, um, but it's no one really like, we used to have nicknames, um, or, you know, I can't repeat some of them, um, but, um, <laughs> you know, for each other, because we'd make fun of each other. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, the joke sucked and this kind of stuff. But but we always, we did it, but it was kind of like a jab, but also it was kind of constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you wanted to see him succeed. You know what sure. I mean? And, um, and yet, I was the kind of person that I would be doing open stage, and when you were doing the open stage, it was 10 comics, and you'd be emceeing, and then some dude would just come out of nowhere for your first time, bring up such and such. That person would just crush mm-hmm. and just crush. And the other comics would be up up there going, oh, he sucks. He's a Dennis Miller ripoff or this kind of stuff. I'm like, no, he's funny. Yeah. That dude is funny. You know, and you have to have that. Certain people have to have that awareness and knowing that, you know, where your place is. Like mm-hmm. Some people are just funny. Yeah. And, uh, but he, um, but, you know, you, you kind of see that with different you know, comics. There's some basically you think they're, and I, you know, I know a lot of guys that I don't hang out with just because, they thought they were funnier than anybody else. And mm-hmm. I remember one time at the Funny Bone in Pittsburgh, um, their main headliner um, basically just, they got in a big fight. And it was on a Saturday, Friday night, late Friday night, got a big fight and the club owners kicked the person out. You're done. You're out of here. They called me Saturday morning and said, are you free tonight? Can you come down? We need a headliner for tonight. Two shows. Okay. And the middle act was Steve Byrne. I don't know if you Steve Byrne is. No. He's, I mean, huge, huge um, and uh, comic. He's originally from Pittsburgh. And there was another comic, you know, which I won't name the name, but Steve Burns, he's nationally known and um, has you know, a lot of TV credits. I'm thinking, going, why Why didn't they just bump him up, right, bump yeah. the middle guy up and just have me MC it or just eliminate the MC? So I remember, okay, so that's my job. That's what I had to do. And I remember the MC at the time, come walking in and sees it's me and Mealy's pissed like pissed yeah first thing you got to say is like what well, he goes um well, is, is that what you're wearing yeah dude this is what i wear you know what <laughs> i mean this is what i wear on stage i don't wear a suit i don't dress up and you know some something to make me look give me an image of something i'm not mm-hmm. and uh, so i i just remember he was like pissed off at him like hey i'll pay to do if i'm paid to do 10 minutes or they pay me to do 40 minutes i do my time yeah, you know I mean, and I do it to the best of my ability, and sometimes it goes off great. Sometimes it's just you know, you know. But I'm critical of myself. Like I'll be critical, and I'll say, eh, "That was my best show." And like my agent will go, Are "You kidding me? The you know the club, the people sent pictures. People were doubling over. They had drinks coming out of their nose." I'm like, "Well, I just didn't feel like it was my best." Yeah. So that what you're saying about we're dying up here. It's um, that's another thing that you kind of have to learn is. Um, you have to be able to adapt. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the shows, um, like when you work for an agency, a lot of times people will call you. I've done everything from, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, like one of the first private shows I did was for the Westmoreland County Assistant Coroner. It was in a fire hall in New Ken. He was the best man, and he wanted to hire a comic. Mm-hmm. So I'm at this fire hall in New Kensington, upstairs in a fireman's club. And um, he said, yeah, man. He goes, you ready? I'm like, yeah. Guy goes downstairs, and he's like, you guys ready for your entertainment? And I could just tell by their applause and their screaming, they're thinking they're seeing titties. You know I mean? <laughs> and I come down that steps, Jordan, and right on me is this for a flat screen. It's a big draw-down screen with a big porno going on. Oh, and there man. I am, and I see all these guys clapping and going, and I remember, I remember saying, "Wow, it got so quiet in here. You could hear my ass slam shut." And because they, that's what they're expecting, and I'm like, you know, so so now I got this room full of angry guys who haven't seen a naked woman in probably you know 30 years, whatever it is. Oh, so I was, um, but I, I I got through it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so at that point on, I always said to people when they want to do a private party, I always ask questions. Oh yeah. You know, like say, you know, my guy, my buddy's turning 30. Give me some info on him. Like, hey, tell me about Jordan. Like, Jordan, you know, so I knew what you were doing so I mm-hmm. could go up there and, have, and work with it. And I did a show, you know, we talk about adapting. My, you know, agents, a lot of times they just, they just want to know, hey, you, I want a comic. 
how much you're willing to spend. And they look through it and look at their budget going, okay, well, if you want to spend this, we'll put this person here. But if you want to spend this, we can give you our Dollar General comics over here. You mean, right. I mean these are your Coles people over here, right? These are, there you go. Yeah, these are your Dollar General comics. And I did a show at a place up in North Hills for a guy who wanted to celebrate his wife's 50th birthday. He saw my set. He saw my little thing on the, um, you know, the, the, the uh, agency, and he liked my style of comedy. So get the contract. I got to go up, and I'm going to do half hour. So I walk into the place, and I tell the waitress, I said, hey, can you let... I'll just say George. George know that um, you need to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Don't say anything to him. He said, George, I need to talk to you and bring him outside. So he comes out. Guy in his like, late 50s, he's all happy and excited. He's like, oh, man, I can't wait. I can't wait. And I'm like, so uh, your wife's 50? Turns 50? He goes, yeah. He goes, in fact, she turns 50 and I turn 50 two days from now. I said, that's cool. I said, it's cool. I said, um, so, um, I said um, so how long have you been married? He goes, um, about three years. I go, your first marriage? He goes, no, no, it's our second. Okay, so because I'm trying to find out more about yeah. them. So how'd you guys meet? Oh, we met through a Christian dating service. I'm like, oh boy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> and I go, um, so um, okay, he goes, Yeah, the theme is fifty. She turns fifty and I turn fifty. And uh, there's fifty people here. Oh, they friends and family? No, they all go to our church. Going, oh <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? So I'm going, Wow, okay, so I said, Okay, so then I said, you know what, just let me know when you want. I'll just go in the bar, and I'll just wait for you to come out. So I went to the bar, and I don't drink before a show. I'll take a beer on stage with me. Yeah. I don't drink because it's another way of making you feel comfortable, like sure. you're sitting in someone's living room. I, man, I chugged a beer, and he came out, and he said, you ready? And had I known this one detail, I probably would have said, we can't do the show. Because he introduces me. I walk in, and it's a small room, and no stage, nothing, just a podium with the court, you know, the braided mic on it yeah. and um he was sitting right there at the table with his wife and his parents and her parents and they both looked like they'll they fought in the civil war they were so old sitting at the table <laughs> next to him was all the grandkids ages five to like 12 oh. whole table of them all in their little games i'm like ah. <clears throat> so there i was you know i worked in it she was laughing and um, so, but I got through it. Like I got through it. It was fun. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But it was just like the whole scene was not anything I should have ever walked into. And I remember getting off the phone, getting off stage, called my agent and I told him what was going on. And of course they laugh. They oh, think yeah. it's funny. And I said, it's not funny, dude. You need to find out what this is. You know what I mean? So, um, so now what I do is if I get information, I try to find out ahead of time what I'm getting into. Sure. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, so, but um, it's, but yeah, it's all, it's, it's technically, it's always like a learning experience. Yeah. You know, always. Yeah. So, but, but there's, I hope I answered your question about that, but there, you know, there is, you know, there is a click with people. Some mm-hmm. people will, you know, learn to adapt. Some people just will just go right in and do their show. Yeah. And the minute their joke doesn't work, they freeze mm-hmm. and they don't, they don't do anything. They just basically just plow right through it. And it's horrible. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's, and I've known enough comics to know that, that they don't know how to adapt. And if it's like we're co-headlining together and we get paid the same, I got to do 40 minutes, he does 40. I generally try to go on first, mm-hmm. you know, just because I don't want to sit through that. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, it's just, um, but there are a lot of, it's an egotistical business. There's no doubt about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And But there's also, there's a percentage of people who just, they're in it for the fun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And a uh, buddy of mine, I, the last show I just did, um, right before all this happened, um, it was a fun. It was a fun show. The crowd was into it, you know, and uh, you know, and uh, and that's how I kind of ended. I kind of ended, you know, uh, it was my first show of the year, my last show of the year. You know, right. I, yeah. I, I had one big show this year, and I've you know I lost a lot of gigs because of it. You know. Mm-hmm. So, but so where do you see like you know the future of comedy right now? I mean, like podcasts. Do you think guys probably doing podcasts, long form? Well, uh, things like that. It's weird because of. Two of my friends in LA were doing a happy hour sit down comedy. Where basically, and it was through a friend's sister. She, their company, basically um, got in and just he sat in his house in LA and did a forty-five minute to an hour comedy sh- show mm-hmm. on you know video screen for everybody to sit and watch. Just like you know when you're watching, you know, like you're having the meetings right now. Yeah, how companies are run. It was weird. Made a few bucks here and there, but. You know, he did a couple of them, but, you know, so um, I think the future of comedy is 
we got to get over this situation right now mm-hmm. to a lot because comedy, I say that in comedy is a room of intimacy. The best rooms are the rooms that hold like 50, 60 people mm-hmm. right up front. Like here's me, here's the table. Boom. That's a comedy atmosphere right there. Right. Because right now, if they open a comedy club, it would be like, it would be like summertime is horrible for comedy. No one wants to be inside, especially, especially in this area where we have limited beautiful days. Right. Yeah. So the seven o'clock show at a club, it's empty. So they have, the, but they know the nine o'clock is going to be sold out or later. So they have a full staff. So they got five waitresses. So you get a room full of 300 people. So that, so to give everybody, you know, tips and time, you know, table time, they got five people sitting over here, 12 over here, mm-hmm. two up front here. You're all over the place. And the rule of thumb is, and no club owner does it is, you know, like when you go to movie theater, you go to movie theater and it's empty. You sit there and you sit, you find your seat, but it's, when it's empty, it feels empty. Yeah. But if, if everybody, if you put everybody in the front row and just fill the seats from their back, the last person in the last row, they see people. Mm-hmm. So this whole room could be a big void. And some clubs had a curtain you could pull back to make the room look even smaller. So then you could direct all your energy into that one spot. Yeah. You know, so I, I brought someone the other day. I said, you know, if they did it, you know, it's kind of like they're doing baseball. Is they just fill the room up with, man- with mannequins? You yeah. know, just put bot. You know, put you know bodies in there. You know, mm-hmm. just put and then put the table here and, and the table here. So, I mean, that's. I don't know where it's going to go. I think people are going to want to be out there and want to. You know, they want they want to laugh. Yeah. But you know, but it, the problem is with it right now, Jordan, is the fact that there's too much sensitivity with. You know, I, I well, honestly, I call it the pussification of America. Oh my God, yeah. Because it's like they're, we're, we're too soft. Everybody's afraid of this and afraid of that, and you know, everyone's dividing, and no one's no one's channeling all their positive thoughts into one thing. They're just going this further and further away. Yeah. And um, that ability to enjoy yourself. I mean, I don't know you and you go out to dinner and you go out to dinner just because you want to get up. It just doesn't feel the same. Oh, it doesn't. Yeah. It feels like it's a weird thing, man. Yeah, I feel like I'm like I'm in the military and I was in combat, <laughs> fighting for my life, and I got a I got a little bit of shore leave for a little bit. I'm out, and I'm just kind of like looking over my shoulder, going, "What's going to happen next?" You know, right. and and it's an uneasy feeling, you know, and yeah. um, you know. So as far as the future goes, I mean, I think I think it'll come back again. You know, because there's always going to be comedy. Because you've heard us saying comedy stems from tragedy. Absolutely. Yep. 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 And uh, so I think. It'll happen, but it's just—it's going to have to be at the right time, you know. Mm-hmm. Right place. I mean, I mean, watching the playoff games at a hockey game and seeing it's just—it's just like it's like a practice. I'm sure it's weird for them, but you watch it going, eh, okay. It's just not the excitement. You yeah, know what I mean, it's not. So I don't know when that's going to change. You yep. know, I mean, none of us do. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's a—it's definitely a, a weird thing. I mean, we've only been out to dinner. Or for drinks, like only while we were at dinner? Yeah. Twice yeah. since this whole thing started. Uh, you and I, we met in a bar. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was that was great because it was just like a nice Saturday. We were there just like having some beers and yeah. talking and, and all of that. And then it, uh, that's just gone. Yeah. And, and the know? thing about it is that the conversation just started about general conversation. Yeah. It led to this. Mm-hmm. Now... I, I get frustrated because you can't even say the sky is blue and without someone going, well, it's Trump's fault or it's so-and-so's fault or it's Fauci's fault or it's his fault. It's like, oh, my God, just I just, just came out to say hi. Right, you know yeah. I mean? and, and that's what's frustrating to me is it like, you know, um, stop it. Just mm-hmm. go out and just have a conversation with somebody. You yeah. know I mean, I was at uh, All Saints um, a couple weeks ago and there was a food truck there and um, went up in the – Nicest guy in the world. You know what I mean? He was ethnic and um, running the pizza truck. Him and I were having this great conversation. He's man, how you doing, brother? I said, I'm doing great. It was awesome, man. He said, uh, he goes, what can I get you? I go, I'm like, you have a 10-inch pizza? He goes, you're lucky, man. I got one left, you know? We just talked, and it was good, and his daughter's working there, and she's like, he's like, as soon as we're done with this guy, gentlemen, we got to mop up the floor. We got to do this and that. And it was this whole it was a cool, just a conversation I was having with a total stranger. Yeah. He was doing his thing. I was at, and I walked away going, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what it's about is just going out. And that's what I love about, 
going out to places and, and doing my comedy is the, all the total strangers I've met and just bonded with mm-hmm. just out of a conversation. And now it's like, I mean, I just went the other day, it was yesterday's uh, Thursday, Tuesday. I stopped on my way home at a place I, I go to a lot in export and it was, it was busy. And um, I sat down and they had the, you know, the outside tables are filled, but the inside, and only had three tables in it. You know, we had a conversation. It all that it was all about this, that you know. And I and I, I put it in a nutshell. I said I don't know who's dying and who's lying and who's lying about who's dying. Right. Yeah. So I said, but that's what all the conversation was. It was it was all going at and like this is bullshit. And this is kind of stuff. Is the fact of the matter is, we're in a situation right now, and I don't think anybody's. I think everybody's trying to find a positive in it. Yeah. And they don't know what the positive is. And like, and it's weird because you go to a certain point and you go, okay, this doesn't make sense. Like my nephews are practicing for football, for their mm-hmm. school, practicing football. They have to designate what parent brings them and picks them up. They got to sit so many feet away from each other on the bench. And only so many people in the locker room and they got to bring their own water. I'm like, how are you going to tackle? Great. Exactly. It's yeah. a contact sport. I mean, I could understand maybe putting a, a, a plexiglass, like mm-hmm. a, a screen in there, but you know, I mean, it makes it makes absolutely no sense to me. Like, so why even do that? Right, exactly. I mean, yeah. that, that's you know, I told people I go, it's like having a. I go tell people it's like having an orgy, but not allowed to touch anybody. Yeah, exactly. You're like, <laughs> hey, listen, we're all gonna get naked, but please, yeah. please, no contact. Absolutely. You know, and that's what that's what I think is that's what the difficulty is. Is like, you get to one certain point. I just saw something today to some how that where is the doctor or whatever his name is said it. Now that maybe wearing goggles and face shields is better preventing. I'm like, nah. saw that. I go, well, I guess I, I'm going to go out right now and buy every motorcycle helmet I could find because you may <laughs> as well just put a motorcycle helmet on your face. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, um, I don't know what's going to happen. It's just like, all I got to do is just go and like, I was looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. Just, you, you got to try to reinvent your life. And I think that's the struggle that most people are having right now is. Right. Everybody's been put in a situation they were never expecting, and they try to find a way to reinvent their life by following the rules, and then they change the rules. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, a couple weeks ago before 4th of July, when they did the whole thing of saying no alcohol at restaurants because people with alcohol tend to linger longer. Mm-hmm. If they sat down and thought about it and said, just make it, you get two drinks and you're done. Yeah. Two drinks and you're done. Because when I go to dinner, I usually have a beer. I get a beer, look at the menu, boom, I'll get this. That beer is finished, have a beer to finish off my meal, and I'm done. Just say yeah. two drinks and you're out. Mm-hmm. That eliminates the people that linger. Right. But no, they just said, no, you can't do that. So then then what happened was, and I and I, I told everybody, I said, I wish Vegas had a line of bets where you of predictability. Mm-hmm. Where like you knew exactly what was going to happen. You could call your bookie going, hey, I'm going to put 10 grand down on the fact that all the people from Allegheny County are coming to Westmoreland County to drink for 4th of July that by Monday they're closing down Westmoreland County. Right. Boom. It's exactly what they did because people came out here. I saw friends of mine on Facebook that live in Allegheny County going, oh, I found this sweet winery and they just wanted to enjoy themselves. And yeah. then they, they took that away. And they took this away instead of just looking at it and going, how can we make this work? Mm-hmm. And then what happens is then people become angry. Yep. And then you're like you said, then you have your friend who says something that's so stupid that you're angry about not being able to do something so simple. And you see that now you hate that person. And all it does is metastasize that that whole thing instead of trying to find a way to curb it. Right. Yeah. And you saw the thing what he said, food. So people were just giving out bags of pretzels. Yep. And now they're saying, no, you can't have a beer unless food's in front of you. I mean, unless you go to a restaurant, yeah. you can order your drink and your food, but you have to have them together. The place I was at the other night, they brought their beer out, and they said, listen, so, and I had cheese balls. Yeah. And these two guys are sitting there, and the waitress said, um, well, and um, so we're not supposed to give you the beer, but you ordered food. We'll just tell you, to, we'll make an excuse. So I had, like, toothpicks, and I said, here, here's some cheese ball lollipops. Give yeah. me, I'll, give you, I'll give you one of these. But, yeah, it's just like they, they keep – Doing it, and I think that's what people are so frustrated with is not being able to know what they're allowed to do and not allowed to do. Yeah, that's it's all. tough. Yeah, and um, I mean, I I feel bad for the small business people. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. fortunately for me, my comedy is not the only thing I do. I have other things to do, but mm-hmm. my other friends are just you know, my friends in L.A. are basically they got you know that did get some sort of money. They're 
they're going to be running out. They don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, and the other downside of it is if you had a podcast or you had something where you you wanted to pay per view to make money, well, most people that want to pay for that don't have money because they're not working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hate to sound like a downer because we're supposed to be talking about comedy, but it's just, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things where you, you gotta, um, you gotta have to try to find a way to make it so it works for everybody. And yeah. I don't know how, who's going to do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I, I'm not, I'm not a political person. I don't do, you know, saying comedy, I don't do any political humor at all. I stay away from it. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. Yep. My view is I don't care who's in, who's running the, the country. I just want them to run a country. I don't care if Democrat or Republican. I just want to basically feel like I can do what I got to do and come home and feel like I'm doing the right thing. And yeah, but it's, yeah, it's yeah. not. If we ever going to get there, I don't know. Who fucking knows? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. Shit, man. All right. So, so anything else? Any questions? Dude, like, if you uh, drop your plugs here, if you. <laughs> No, my, my plug, you I mean, know. what am I going to plug? I'll, right. be, I'll be sitting in my living room for the next two months. Right, yeah. Um, no, there's, you know, honestly, I don't have any, you know, I had Facebook, a bu- Instagram, any of that? No, you know, yeah. it's, I, 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 I post Facebook just for, you know, I do a lot of outdoor stuff, adventures. I'm not a person I boast mm-hmm. what I do. I use Facebook to promote my shows. Like if I'm doing a show, yeah. I, I'll get the promo thing made up, copy and paste that, put it out there. I mean, I, most of the shows I do out here usually always so on. Yeah, I mean, for years, um, I was doing shows, a lot of local places, Valentine's Day shows, sell out 260 people. I have a great following, but the problem is that there's nothing in the books. Like, everything's been taken away. I had a couple of wineries that were booked solid. Yeah. You know, um, that, and I, I see they're doing music, but I'm not going to do the comedy because music is just not, music's different. Yeah. Music you can do outside. You can, That's one thing about comedy. You can't do comedy outside. You can't. Comedy, like I said, it's just weird to have to be in a room mm-hmm. focused, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, so uh, you can't be doing a show at the, you know, on a golf course at the, you know, uh, the approach of the right. airport with jets flying over you. It's a distraction. So comedy is just, I'm just going to sit back and just wait. Wait just it out. Wait it out and see. If someone says, hey, you want to do a show? I'll go, I'll do my show and I'll have fun. I, you know, I mean, I've done a show for two people. I've done a show for 2,000 people. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. I'll do the same show for that same group of people, but you know, but when when that's going to happen, I don't know. I wish I had something I could plug and say, "Hey, this is where I'm going to be at." But right now, it's just going to be me in my living room. There you go. Yeah, but um, I mean, I'd like to, you know, if you want to do another one of these, you know, I'd love to do it again. Yeah, you know, absolutely, so for sure. Maybe on a little bit more of a lighthearted note. Yeah, we kind of. <laughs> and we went back and forth. I think it was I got more on a serious side, but I mean that's no, it's good. I mean, like that's the whole thing with this podcast. I mean, like why I enjoy it so much is just like I get to talk to people that you know you just you hear that you're a comedian, you just assume that man, this guy's just life of the party all the time, always yeah. at a hundred percent banging it out. Yeah, you know, and you get to talk to you and just like understand that like. Yes, you're a normal guy. Yeah. And you are living the same life as everybody else, and yep. and, and running into the same struggles yeah, well, and, and all that stuff. It's weird for me because that one of the weird things for me was doing comedy is like you had a black and white headshot, mm-hmm. and people would take it off the door and they want you to sign it. I'm like, you know, I've literally signed girls' breasts with a marker, mm-hmm. and it's just weird. Like you know, to what to you know, Sally, uh, hey, great time. That's weird for me, right? Yeah. That's just weird for me because it's not why I did it. Yeah. But you realize that it's crazy when you do shows and a lot of times you do shows in you know, in the middle of nowhere. And um you're you're the closest thing these people are ever gonna get to live entertainment. Mm-hmm. They don't go to Atlantic City, they don't go to Vegas or to Pittsburgh. They this is it. So you're you're it. And I remember doing a lot of shows with a good friend of mine, um and um and you know, up towards Interstate eighty and all those small little lumber towns and you get you do a show at like a um, you know, a uh Country club, you know, two, three hundred people, and they invite you to the local bar. And you walk in that bar, and you swear to God, like you just stepped off a tour bus. Yeah, I mean, it's great, and it's it's great, it's it's fun, you know. And I've had a ton of fun doing it, but it is, but deep down, I'm a normal you know, person, and I don't like, and it's weird for me that all the years I was an engineer, mm-hmm. I go to play, say, this is my friend Sean, and this is you know Mike, and blah blah. blah. But once I started doing comedy. I get together with everybody else. They go, hey, this is Michelle. This is, you know, Susan. And this is Mike. And this is Sean. Sean's a comedian. 
they labeled me. Oh, yeah. And I would be like, don't, because then you know what's next. Oh, say something funny. I'm like, be funny. I'm like, well, you're my, account- <laughs> you're my accountant. You're an accountant. Do my taxes Do for taxes. me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so that was weird. And, and I, you know, and I, I didn't like it because I wanted people to know. Mm-hmm. And I have people who know me, and, and I've met some newer girls over the last couple of years, never seen me perform. And they go, you're not that funny. I'm like, well, if you saw me here yeah. and you saw me on stage, it's, I'm two totally different people. Yeah. Two, two totally. I have an energy level. I'm two totally different people. And I said, you have to, you have to experience it. And it's just transforming that energy into, you know, to, uh, to a different level. To what, yeah, yeah. To what you yeah, do. Yeah. So, but awesome, man. Well, yeah. I'd love to have you back. Yeah. If you're willing to do that. Yeah. You could try and put something together, man. I think it would be a good time. Yeah. We could do like a post, maybe a post COVID. Yeah. Show. Or, I think that'd be awesome. Or after the election, like someone posted on Facebook said after, what are your plans after the pandemic ends November 4th? I said, <laughs> I'm going to take off my mask, have unprotected sex under a statue. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, sir, thank you for yeah, being on yeah, the show. You bet. Yeah. Thanks. All right. There goes Sean. Do me a favor and share this episode because it's guys like him and other artists, maybe even photographers and other artists out there who are still struggling from the COVID and we're not able to go back to work fully yet. Um, You know, Sean, he has no idea when he's going to be able to go back and perform. So, you know, it's real tough. What we want to do is use this platform right here to keep artists current keep their names buzzing about the community and things um you know being a local and small community we have an amazing pool of talent here and uh you know if you guys share this episode it only takes a second and it really does help keep things current keep your name in the spotlight and uh that's always good so i hope you guys enjoyed this episode and i'll see you next week